0: That's up to $125 off. Just visit armwire.style slash minimalish. That's armwire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash minimalish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armwire today. I'm your host, Desiree, I'm a mom to two, and on my own journey of living with a little less clutter so I can have more space for an intentional life. I'm no expert, and I like to think of this as a corner of the internet where we're learning and growing together. So, let's walk towards a more simple and intentional life. Here's this week's episode. Welcome back to Minimalish. Today, I'm excited to be approaching the mental decluttering aspect of minimalish living. And with that, I have a guest on the podcast today. And her name is Rachel Nielsen. And she is actually the host of another really wonderful podcast called the Three and Thirty Podcast. So maybe you've heard of it, maybe you know her well because you listen or maybe you are new to her. You should go check out her podcast after this interview. After this episode, she offers three actionable takeaways for moms who want to overcome overwhelm and find more magic in motherhood in each episode. Uh, Rachel also lives in Idaho with her husband, her dog, and her two children. And she today is going to share a lot about her journey into motherhood, her battle with depression, and just different ways that she has come out of that. But our main topic today is we're going to talk about decluttering our motherhood. And what Rachel means by decluttering our motherhood is decluttering the inner voice, the shoulds that we have in our motherhood, the ways that we beat ourselves up as moms and feel like we always should be doing something just a little bit better, just a little bit differently. I love this conversation. We both get pretty transparent about our early journeys into motherhood and just our motherhood in general. And so I hope that this episode... Come, you'll come out of it feeling less alone in whatever you're feeling in your motherhood and also just come out of it feeling encouraged. Before we get to the conversation, I do want to mention one thing. This upcoming weekend, so if you're listening to this on the Thursday it comes out, it is the January 27th and 28th. There is a summit that I'm going to be a part of and it's called the Simple Change Summit. Um, during this summit, I'm doing a presentation on making minimalism your own. So finding your version of minimalism. And it is packed with lots of reflection questions and ways to truly find what aspects of minimalism are helpful to you and what aspects you can kind of leave behind. Uh, And then starting points to diving into minimalism as well. There are also five other amazing women speaking at this conference with topics anywhere from finances to productivity to decluttering. So I hope that you come and find me there this weekend, 27th and 28th. It is an online summit, so you don't actually have to go anywhere. You just cozy up with a cup of coffee in front of your computer or even listen to the presentations as you're taking a walk or doing laundry. I'm going to link the summit in the show notes so that you can sign up there, but you can also find it at simpleintentional.com slash simple-change-summit. One other thing to mention at the very end of this episode, we do a little bit of Santa talk. So I know it's past Christmas, but we were talking right around Christmas when we recorded this episode. So if you wanna keep secret things secret, then just make sure you listen to the last like five minutes of the episode with some earbuds in. All right, let's dive in. Rachel, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Before we dive in, can you just share a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, I'm Rachel Nielsen. I host the podcast, Three and 30 Takeaways for Moms. Every 30 minute episode has three takeaways on a wide variety of motherhood topics. I'm a former high school English teacher, like you, Desiree. And so I taught my students to take big, complicated concepts and boil them down into like actionable, provable points, thesis statement, you know? And so that's kind of what I do in all of my episodes as well. And I live in the mountains of Idaho with my two children my husband and my dog. And, um, I love being able to work from home and be a mom and it's just a great life.
0: I love that. And I I love that you took your teaching profession and kind of navigated it over to podcasting. I feel like I did the same in a lot of ways. Mm. I love the concept of your show. So I'm honored to have you on here today and we're going to talk just about, motherhood. I want to hear your story. You've shared a lot about the beginning of your motherhood journey Mm -hmm. and experiencing depression. Could you share a little bit about your story with um, experiencing depression and motherhood?
1: Yeah. So I fought hard to be a mom. My oldest is adopted and my daughter was conceived with IVF. And so during all of these years of infertility, I really idealized motherhood and what it was going to be like and how I was going to be as a mom and I was going to love every minute of it, these hard fought babies. And so then I gave up my career. I decided to stop teaching when my, when my son was adopted, cause I just was really ready to go all in on motherhood. And then I found that motherhood was much, much harder <laughs> than I had envisioned during those years of infertility. And, I have always been somebody that really loves Mm -hmm. contribution. It's one of my highest values. I love my work. Like I loved my work when I was a high school teacher. I love my work now. Work is kind of my happy, safe place and in good ways and bad ways. Like in some ways, I think it's my escape. It's kind of my crutch to get away from hard emotions. And so when all of the sudden I wasn't working outside the home anymore and I didn't have this like, outward achievement and um, check offable tasks, like I did when I was teaching all of these years, I think I had been avoiding depression for a long time. Like it had always been there, but I could sort of escape it. And all of a sudden I found myself as a stay at home mom to this baby that I adored, but was colicky and I didn't have my thing that made me feel really accomplished, which was teaching to sort of escape to. And I just had to face myself in a lot of ways, I think, and face all of these hard emotions that I had been stuffing for years. Um, And so depression really came to a head for me in that first year of motherhood. And it kind of manifested in eating disorder behaviors, which had also always been with me, or at least had been with me for probably 10 years by that point, but I had avoided looking at And it all came out in that first year of motherhood where I found that I was so unhappy. I desperately loved my baby, but I didn't love myself. And I really think that I felt a big motivation to get help because of the love I had for my baby. Like all of the years before that, there would be times when I'd have really low seasons, but I would just sort of power through and think I can do this, I can get through it. But once I had this little innocent child that was depending on me, I just was like, I don't want to live this way anymore. Like, he deserves a happy mom. And so I need to figure out how to address my mental health issues that I have been avoiding looking at. And so that's when I finally went to therapy and started doing a lot of work on my own inner voice. And it changed my life in that first those first couple years of motherhood.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that story because I think so many moms can relate to it. In the early years of motherhood, and especially if you've had some... Well, motherhood itself is a big transition, right? Mm-hmm. Becoming a new mom. But if you've had some big like work transition as well, there's just so much that comes along with that and so many emotions. And it's so common, but people don't want to talk about it. So I'm really grateful that you share that. And I, I can just see how as I listen to your podcast and in the work that you've done over the years to, to do things that have brought you out of that. So I want to hear a little bit about that. What are some things that you did to help bring you out of that season of depression? You have a journal called Flex of Gold mm-hmm. that is a practice that, that helped you there too. So if you want to talk a little bit about that as well.
1: Yeah. So let's start with Flex of Gold, and then I can talk about some other things I did. Um, Flex of Gold is a concept. It was around that time when my son was a newborn, very colicky. I was so unhappy. I was so surprised by how unhappy I was um, that I heard a religious sermon, and in it, he told the story of the Parable of the Miner and he wasn't talking about parenting the topic was actually something totally different but as is often the case sometimes you hear a sermon or a talk or something and you just grab onto that one story and it just hits you personally where you need it even if that's not what the person intended at all you know and so i've gone back and like reread that sermon in later years and i it hits totally different but at that time it was what i needed to hear so in this story the parable of the minor, Um, A young miner was excited about striking it rich in the California Gold Rush, and he traveled to California thinking it was gonna be so easy to just dip his pan into the river and pull out big golden nuggets, and he was gonna make his fortune. And he got there, and day after day, all he was pulling out was rocks, and he just got more and more discouraged and throwing these rocks to the side. One day, an elderly prospector walked by, And the young miner said, there's no rocks in this, or the young miner said, there's no gold in this river. I'm going home, I'm giving up. And the elderly prospector said, there's gold, all right. You just don't know how to look for it yet. And he cracked open the rocks that this young man had been throwing aside and showed him these little flecks of gold, these particles of gold that were inside the rocks and that you have to kind of work for it a little bit and and pull out these flecks of gold. I have no idea if that's really how mining works, but that's how it's told in the story. And the young, the young miner said, no, I want big nuggets of gold, like what you have in your pouch, because he could see that the old man had a heavy pouch on his belt that was obviously weighed down with what he thought were big nuggets of gold. And the old man opened his pouch and showed the young man that it was just the accumulation of thousands of these little flecks of gold that had become this weighty treasure that he had in his belt. And so I'm listening to this as this really discouraged new mom, and it just occurred to me that I needed to start looking for flecks of gold in my motherhood, that I had expected to walk into it and to have blissful days that were easy and fun and that the golden moments would just be so obvious to me all the time and that that's not really how motherhood or life in general works. Sometimes you have to look for them. You have to crack open the rocks, the hard stuff in your life and say, but where is the good? Where's the gold? And as you start to collect them and notice them, you st- you gain wealth. They become more weighty. They become, you become rich with all of the joy in your life. And so I just had like a little notebook. It wasn't a fancy journal or anything, but I started looking for a tiny little fleck of gold every day that I, in, in my interactions with my son. And I would just write it down, you know, that he was snuggling against my chest while, while I fed him a bottle and I felt the surge of love for him. Like I would write it down or his first laugh or, um, You know, whatever interaction we had, it didn't always have to do with him. A lot of times I tried to find one that had to do with him, but maybe I saw a really beautiful sunset that, that day, whatever it was, some fleck of gold, I started to write it down every day. And I noticed that it was retraining my brain to see the good in my life. The more that I looked for it, the more that I saw it. And so even as those moments were happening, I would think this is my fleck of gold and I would really savor it while it was happening. And then later that night, as I wrote it down, it was a chance to savor it again and to think about it again. And so years later, um, I developed—I turned it into an actual journal for mothers that's called Flex of Gold. It's a three-year journal where you write your golden moment on that day. And then the next year, you add to the same page your memory from this year. And so you're reading your golden moment from the year before as you write your golden moment from this year, and you do that for three years. And so that's become a really meaningful gratitude practice that got me through an extremely hard time in my motherhood when I was feeling really depressed and has gotten me through lots of hard times since. And that now about 10,000 women around the world own this journal. And it makes me so happy to think about moms out there searching for the little flecks of gold to get them through the rocky hard times to find the good with their children and in their lives. So that's flecks of gold.
0: I love the journal. You sent me a copy and it's it's just so beautiful. And I love how simple the practice is. Um, I love when you talk about it, how the idea is, you know, you're thinking about this throughout the day and you are starting to look for those beautiful moments in your day those small you know moments of joy in the mundane but then you're you're bringing them back to your memory later in the day I think memory keeping is something that a lot of us want to do in our motherhood and it has so many benefits to be able to look back but we don't I shouldn't say for everyone but me personally I don't print pictures as much as Mm -mm. obviously my parents had boxes and boxes of pictures Mm -hmm. right which can add up to clutter but at least you can go to the box and pull some out and look through them Mm -hmm. and so it's nice to have something that is so simple it's not like it's taking it's this big task to do every day it's actually beneficial for you to do every day plus it's a memory keeping aspect so
1: yeah and i do feel like it's a very practical application of what we hear a lot about like looking for the good and training your brain to see the good it it's sort of like, we all know we should do that, but how? How do you, this is a very concrete, easy, it is easy. You know, moms say to me, it's the one type of journaling I've been able to keep up because it takes me two minutes a day. I just grab it and I write it down. So it's a very tactile way to sort of work on the neural pathways in your brain, to rewire them. And that that goes to a bigger, You know, takeaway that I have under this of how I overcame my depression was I went to therapy. And in therapy, I learned and developed a kinder inner voice. I never realized how cruel my inner voice was. I really think I was pretty unaware of my inner voice. I just sort of thought that everybody talked to themselves that way. But in therapy, she sort of helped me separate my inner voice from myself and say, would you ever talk to a friend like that? Would you ever say, you know, you're a failure, you're a screw up, you don't know what you're doing? Like, and I didn't even realize that that, all those thoughts were going through my head all the time. And so she helped me to sort of start to rewrite and retrain my brain to not only see my life and my motherhood and my children in a positive light, but to see myself in a positive light. Um, And so that, I mean, that's the biggest thing that helped me through my depression was therapy and um i've done i did it really intensely that first when i first realized i needed some serious help i went to therapy every week for about a year and then since then i'll stop and then i'll be good for a while and then i sort of start to notice oh that mean voice is coming back a little bit here or there and then i'll start again for a little while and then it it, therapy has become a constant tool in my life since that first time i went about 12 years ago that I come back to when I'm in a, find myself in another hard season. So I really can't say enough about the good that therapy has done for my life and to help with my depression and anxiety.
0: Okay. So something you just said, I'm so glad you said it because I think when people talk about this topic of just like, you know, changing the way we talk about ourselves and talk to ourselves, I can relate to having that negative inner voice, but you said when it comes back and mm. I think that's so important because it's just like so often you know in the self-help world online we just hear about solutions like this is how you solve your problems right mm-hmm. three-step process but it it's just so helpful and I don't know reassuring almost to hear it that way because it, it makes whoever's listening it makes me feel also like there's not something wrong with us if we're not fully getting over something. It, mm. it can be an ongoing, it's an ongoing struggle. And um, I, I'm just really grateful that you shared that, one, therapy is an ongoing tool for you, but also that, you know, it is an ongoing struggle for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to take a second to thank today's sponsor, Paired. What do you remember about the first time you met? This is a question that my husband and I came across via an app called Paired. We decided to use this app to just grow closer in our marriage in the midst of busy days. And this question of what do you remember when you first met? It brought to mind so many memories of what we first thought of one another. Like I said, the app is called Paired and it's a relationship app for couples. You and your partner download the app and then you pair together. And every day, Paired will give you questions, quizzes, and games to have fun, to stay connected, and to deepen your conversations. We've learned a lot about each other via Paired, but it's mostly just opened the door to sharing the things we love about one another more. And I love the simple questions that it asks us something like What's something you admire about your partner? What makes you feel lucky in your relationship? These are things that I think we often think about, but we don't often take the time to express them to one another, and paired just creates that opportunity to do so. It's simple and often hilarious. Each day when you get this quiz or the question or the game, you often cannot see your partner's answers until you answer. So the first time that we did this, I actually threw some quick answers in, and I was very short with my answers. I was short on time. My toddler was climbing all over me. It was a question that I mentioned before. What do you remember about the first time you met? And like I said, I was just like super short about it. I think I said something like, I remember I wanted to get to know you more. And then when I got to see his answer, he wrote out like an entire paragraph or two. And I had to laugh because I'm usually the wordy one in our relationship. And I expected a short answer from him, but he upped the game. Whether you're just a few dates in or you've been together for a long time, it's time to lighten the mood and have some fun with your partner by using Paired. Head to paired.com minimalist to get a seven day free trial and 25% off. If you sign up for a subscription, head to P-A-I-R-E-D dot com slash minimalist to sign up today. Connect with your partner every day using Paired. A happier relationship
1: starts here. I don't know if you ever seen the movie A Beautiful Mind about John Nash. He was the mathematician. Do you know the movie I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I, Mm -hmm. I hope most people have seen it. It's a very good movie, but he's a mathematician. He has schizophrenia and doesn't realize for, I, I just ruined the movie. Sorry. If <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, if, if, I didn't ruin it yet. Actually, I'm about to ruin the movie. So if you haven't seen the movie, maybe skip ahead 60 seconds, but halfway through the movie, you realize that his friends that he's been interacting with throughout the movie are not real. They're part of his schizophrenia. And he realizes that too, as he goes through treatment and at the end of the movie, after he's sort of overcome his schizophrenia and he's working on it constantly, a reporter is there and a reporter asks him um, if he still like sees his friends or if he still like battles his schizophrenia, basically. And the reporter can't see this, but we can, as the viewers of the movie, that his friends his, that aren't real are like walking in the distance right behind him and he says to the reporter every day like i see them every day i just have to choose not to talk to them and i think about that so often with like my cruel inner voice or with different struggles that i have with the eating disorder that i fought really hard to overcome like those things are still with me i just have to choose not to talk to them and and when i do when they do come back and they start getting loud again then that's my sign that I need to get help to keep it at bay. But it's not like it goes away completely. Like these hard things that we struggle with are probably always going to be with us. And it's up to us to reach for the tools to help ourselves through, if that makes sense. So I often think of that. I think that movie is so powerful for so many different reasons. And I think of that scene a lot.
0: That is so powerful. And I think too, it's powerful to just, be able to accept that like accept the struggles that we have and know that they are part of us Mm -hmm. but also that we can find tools to help us cope with them and help us make it not not such a negative part of us Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah I'm just really grateful that you shared that and it's, it's not just like, take these three steps and, you know, this yeah. journal is going to make you overcome depression forever. It's just, no, these are tools that can help cope and help us find joy when we struggle with that. Mm. A very kind of related thing that you talk about is just like the mental load of motherhood and mental clutter that can come along with motherhood um, and I'm sure everyone listening can like nod their heads right now that being a mom brings on just so many responsibilities. So, one thing that you have been talking about is decluttering our motherhood. Can you explain just what you mean when you say declutter your motherhood?
1: Yeah, and this is really related, Desiree. I'm I, as I was reading through your questions, you sent me an outline before. And as I was reading through them, I'm like, I'm so glad that she's, I don't know that I had totally connected how Flex of gold is also connected to declutter your motherhood is also the overarching thing here for me is therapy. Like therapy brought me both of these things. <laughs> so I'm grateful to you for connecting the dots here um, because it was in therapy that I realized that I had so many shoulds that I was carrying around about shoulds. Like I should be this type of a mom. I should be doing this. I should be enjoying this more. I shouldn't work outside the home because that's not what a really invested mother does. Like these were all subconscious things that I was carrying around. And that is what I'm talking about when I talk about decluttering your motherhood is getting rid of the clutter, the junk, That you are carrying around telling you how you should be doing motherhood. And I did that in therapy. Like my therapist and I would really, she'd help me hash out why do you believe that? What makes you think that? Why do you think that motherhood has to look a certain way? Why do you think that you have to show up in a certain way in order to be a good mom? Where does that come from in your past? What are the you know, um, messages that you got from your family of origin or from your religious upbringing or from media that made you think that. And so it was incredibly freeing for me as I worked on getting rid of that mean inner voice to realize that I could let go of a lot of those shoulds and I could choose what I wanted my motherhood to look like. And so now I teach that to women in a metaphor of decluttering your shoulds and motherhood the way you would declutter a closet. And I know you talk a lot on, on your podcast about minimalism and decluttering and getting rid of the junk and focusing on the essentials in your life. And this is such a similar concept of getting, first of all, clear on everything you're carrying around all the clutter that you have, because it is deeply subconscious. So, what are your definitions of a good mom and are they reasonable and maybe you're constantly beating up on yourself even if it's only mentally and nobody else knows it because you're holding yourself to these impossible shoulds that don't even fit you the same way that like if you decluttered your closet you'd find a bunch of clothes that don't fit you anymore it's time to let go of those and so i lead women through a process in doing that i used to teach it as a live workshop But post-pandemic, I haven't taught it live. I have turned it into an audio course. So if you are a podcast listener, I think you would like this course. It's all audio. And I'll walk you through step-by-step how, because it's kind of a nebulous idea. to. It makes sense to declutter a physical space. We all can kind of picture what that process would look like. But when it comes to decluttering a mental space and getting rid of shoulds, that's a little harder. So, I walk you through the process of what questions to ask yourself, how to do this inner work, to get clear on what your shoulds are, to decide what actually fits you and what actually sparks joy for you, which is a Marie Kondoism, most people are probably familiar with, and then to how to let go of some of it and build a motherhood that you actually really love. So, that's the sort of the premise of my Declutter Your Motherhood course that I teach.
0: Yeah, I I always think like the most impactful part of minimalism is the decluttering that goes beyond just the stuff. It's the decluttering, the decluttering of our mind. And but it is like you said, it is kind of elusive, like, okay, well, what does that even mean? What does that even look like? And as you were talking about all those shoulds and just, you know, all the the ways that we think we should be as a mom, I was just thinking about my experience as a first-time mom and how I would isolate myself because I was so worried that I was not doing motherhood right and I was Mm. so worried about other people judging me, like strangers, family, friends, anyone else who had a child at some point in their life. Like I was worried that I was doing it so wrong and that they were judging me in some way. And it's just so interesting, you know, with time for me, I always say my second child, it was so much of a happier time for me because I had really gotten rid of a lot of Mm -hmm. those beliefs along the way. But I had my second child almost five years after my first child. So I had some motherhood Mm. (laughs) under my belt there. Um, But it I think it's a universal experience because motherhood is so new. It is so all encompassing. And there's also the internet where there's so much out there that's telling you different ways that you should do motherhood. Right. Mm -hmm. So I am so glad that you have created something to help moms through this because I just can remember feeling like really lost and lonely Mm -hmm. in early motherhood because of, all the ways I felt
1: like I wasn't doing enough and wasn't doing it right. The, the physical decluttering for me often has come with a mental decluttering of like pulling a physical item out of my closet and being like, why do I even own this? Like this, you know, I don't like cooking, but I own 20 cookbooks. Like why? And so it's not just, the, it's not just a matter of getting rid of the cookbooks. It's also accepting yourself and accepting it's okay that I don't like to cook because we hold on to these physical things that we think maybe someday will change and we'll be the the version of ourselves that we should be. And so we need to hold on to these cookbooks because someday we're gonna learn how to like cooking because that's what good moms do. And with letting go of the cookbooks, you're sort of letting go of that expectation of yourself and saying, I can be a great mom just as I am. I don't need these physical things that represent emotional things in order to believe that I'm a good mom.
0: Yeah, and we're in January at when this episode comes out. So it's like the time of year when everyone's setting new goals and how many of those goals and resolutions are because of things that we think we should be versus mm-hmm. like, you know, what we actually wanna change and become. So I just think this message is so important right now at this time too. Thinking on the idea of, like, decluttering those shoulds, you have this full resource for moms if Mm -hmm. they really want to dive into it. Can you give a couple of just, like, practical first steps Mm -hmm. for the mom who's really feeling, like, in the trenches of that mindset and really overwhelmed by all the negative voices?
1: Yes, absolutely. So... The very first step in my course is the very first step that I would recommend to anybody listening, whether or not you ever do my course, you can do this on your own. And that is to inventory your overwhelm. That's what I call it in the course. That's the first step. So just like you would inventory your closet or your cupboards in your kitchen and a professional organizer would tell you, like, take it all out, take everything out of the closet, spread it out, put it in piles of like Items and go through them one by one and decide what deserves to go back into the closet, what deserves space in your physical life. It's the same with the mental stuff that we have, but how often do we really inventory what's in there? What are you actually holding on to in your brain about what a good mom should or shouldn't do? So I would start with a big inventory list. It's essentially a brain dump. And just get out a sheet of paper and say, like, what do I believe makes a good mom? You know, and just start writing it out. And then you can look at it and ask yourself, is this reasonable? Does this actually fit me? Does this actually spark joy for me? Does it make me happier to have this belief about good motherhood? And you kind of are going through that process of deciding what deserves to go back in quote unquote, to your motherhood closet or to your definition of what a good mother is. And it can be really freeing to just sort of get it all out. And so it might be like thinking about all of the activities that you you and your family do. A lot of times those are a good first step of it. Are there an indicator of what you believe is important in your motherhood? Just like what is already filling your schedule is probably because you feel like you should be doing it. So start writing it all out. What am I currently doing? Why am I doing these things? But then also asking yourself, what do I think I should be doing that I'm not doing? That's not currently making it onto my schedule, but is taking up space in my brain and weighing me down of like, I should. I should be reading with my kids every day. I should be making more hot meals for everybody. I should have a better, more dialed in bedtime routine with my kids or even with myself. Like start writing all those things down and I think you'll be surprised by how long the list is and you'll kind of laugh and be like, no wonder I feel like weighed down. This is a ton. And it's only then when you can start to make deliberate decisions about your life, once you're even, clear on what you have in that motherhood clutter mess and you can start having conversations with your partner if you have one or with trusted girlfriends your sisters and just say you know i can't believe i carry all of this in my closet what do you what do you think what do you do to feed your family like how does motherhood look for you and it can open up really great conversations where you can start to design a life that fits you that you love
0: yeah uh, it's amazing how many things in our day where probably most of us are saying like you should be doing that differently right mm-hmm. and why and I think like you said having conversations with other people a lot of times it can help us like rebuild but also it can help us realize that it doesn't have to be perfect and nobody has it perfect we are just seeing so much of it online mm-hmm. that whether or not that person is sharing and and trying to make it look perfect or not. It's just we're seeing other people's lives and we're seeing the best of their lives. So then we're thinking, whoa, like now, you know, every single thing I, need to, I do needs to be different.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes we don't realize that there's other options, there's other ways of doing things until we start brainstorming with other women and like, they're brilliant. You know, that's one thing that I loved about having the workshop when I taught it live. That was the fun part is that like women would, give each other ideas of ways they could simplify or, Oh, I don't do this, but I do do this. It's made my life so much easier. And so I really try to weave in a lot of examples from a lot of different women in my audio course, because I wanted to keep that aspect of think outside the box. Like you don't, there's lots of ways to do motherhood. And here's some different ideas of how you could address some of these sort of common problems from a lot of different angles and pick what fits you. You don't want to take everybody else's ideas and think that you have to do all of them. Just knowing there's a lot of ideas frees you up and opens you up to possibilities for your life and that you can build a life that really fits you that you love.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. Well, this has been such a good conversation and I I love this topic. It is just so necessary and so important. Mm -hmm. So thank you for your time. I have two questions that I like to ask every guest before we go, though. And the first one is, what is something that you're simplifying right now?
1: I had to laugh when I knew you were going to ask me this, because I feel like (laughs) I want to simplify everything in my life. I'm like, can my answer just be everything? But I did come down. I did come up with one major thing that I'm working on simplifying in my life right now, and that's my work life. So I feel like As I mentioned at the beginning, I get a lot of fulfillment out of working and there's nothing wrong with that, but it can, it can start to overrun your like mom life, your relationships. And I've just been feeling a little, like things have gotten a little too complicated in my work life. And I just want to streamline it. I want to get rid of things that don't matter to me as much in my work, in my business, and just focus on the essentials in 2024. And so that's kind of my big goal for the year is to streamline and simplify a lot of what I'm doing with my work.
0: I love it. And the second question is what's something that you're loving right now?
1: So we're recording this in December. So um for context for anybody listening. And I'm gonna say up front that if you have if you're listening on speaker and you have children who Um, are believers, then you might want to pause or skip this as in like, uh, I don't want to say more than that. Hopefully, you know what I mean? Okay. Pause it if you don't (laughs) want your kids to hear this. Um, But I'm going to go on to say, what I mean by believers is believers in Santa. Um, So this is the first year that I haven't had any children that believe in Santa. And I know Santa, you know, some people do it, some people don't. But my kids are now 12 and nine, and my daughter no longer believes in Santa, and I thought my youngest, and I thought that that would be really sad. But what I'm finding is that I'm kind of loving it because now she can help me with stuff. And it's been really fun for me this year. This is her first year without believing in Santa, and she has taken on Elf on the Shelf even though there's nobody in our house that believes in the elf on the shelf she (laughs) wants to come up with creative little scenes and what you know you hear so many moms like complain about the elf and but like to her it's just this creative exercise and so she hides the elf for us every morning and it's been super fun for me to just see her creativity and for me to like every morning i wake up and i'm like what did she do with the elf like it, like the, the roles have reversed. I am now the <laughs> excited one looking for the elf. And like the other day, we went to a toy store, just the two of us, and she helped me pick out all of her brother's stocking stuffers. So this is like a fun new phase in my motherhood that I thought would come with a, like a lot of sadness with my kids growing up. And I'm actually kind of loving it. So I wanted to put that out there for any moms who aren't yet to the place where I am. That, yeah, Christmas, holidays, everything changes as your kids grow. But there's some really fun things that come along with that, too. So that's what I'm loving. I love that. That sounds so fun.
0: I I love how the roles reverse with the
1: the Yeah. That's so cute. And like the (laughs) elf that all moms are like, the stupid elf. Like, she's loving it, you know? It's like it is like a childlike, playful, imaginative thing that she gets to do every day.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. I love that. Well, thank you so much again for just being here today and all of the good insight that you gave and where can listeners find you um, so that they can, you know, find your course or just follow along with you?
1: Yeah, I would say the best place to start is just my website, and 30 podcastcom because right at the top, you'll see three buttons, one that says journal. So if you want to look at the gold journal that we talked about, Another button that says courses, and that's where you'll find my Declutter Your Motherhood course. And then the third button says podcast. So if you want to go find my show and listen to it, that would be the best place to start, 3 and 30 podcastcom
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Rachel. And I'll put all those links in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rachel today and I hope you'll take that action step that Rachel gave us at the end to really just inventory our shoulds, inventory all the ways that we are beating ourselves up in motherhood or telling ourselves that we should be doing more so that we can start to kind of unpack those and and also to inventory the other areas of your motherhood where you just do feel overwhelmed and you feel like you need to find some kind of new rhythm, new routine, new starting point to feel less overwhelmed in those areas. So I think awareness is just so helpful and it it really gives us a place to start. It gives us a path forward when we just do a brain dump and become aware of what it is that is getting in our way or what it is that is overwhelming us. If you enjoyed this conversation, I would be so grateful if you would share it with a friend, Share it on Instagram, share it wherever you like to share things online or just in a conversation with your friend. However you want to share it, I am grateful for you for doing so. And I'm just grateful that you're here listening in. Thank you for hanging out with me. And I will talk to you right back here again on the next episode. Seeking the truth never gets old.